We are in the book of Revelation, and we are at the 10th chapter. It's easy to find. It's the last book in your New Testament. It is between the book of Jude and your eternal future. And uh, we've been enjoying the lessons in God's Word and uh, growing in the Word of God. Amen. Uh, if you are a Christian, and I certainly uh, am rejoicing that you are, uh, you know that the Bible is an edible book. It is an edible book. Amen. According to Matthew 4.4 4 and Luke 4.4, 4, it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so your Bible is edible. And we're going to eat some of it today. Praise the Lord. And when we leave, I hope your spiritual tummy is full. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the whole chapter 10. You say, oh, brother, the whole chapter? Yeah, it's only 11 verses. And we have a promise in the book of Revelation that if you read it and hear it, you get a special blessing. That's in the first chapter. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said, blessed are they that hear and read and, and obey the words of this prophecy. So there's a blessing on it. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we put the Word of God up in lights. It's always in light. But anyway, it's here. You can follow along in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 10. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which, are, uh, which the seven thunders uttered. And write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And he swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein or therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. 
I want to use for a subject this morning, let us go by the book. May be seated. Every church should go by the book. When I talk about the book, right here is the book, God's Word. And every human being should go by the book. Did you know God goes by the book as well? He does. In fact, in Psalm 138, verse 2, God says he magnifies his word above his name. So God takes the words that he spoke and he hung the heavens by the word of his power. Jesus Christ created everything by the word of his power. I'm thankful that our God is so powerful. There is nothing he cannot do. He is so amazing. He cares. He loves. He's such an incredible God. This 10th chapter of the book of Revelation is pretty much a parenthetical chapter. At this point in the book of Revelation, about half of the planet has died. The planet has been just pounded by famine, disease, war, all kinds of satanic activity, heartbreak, earthquakes, meteors hitting the earth or comets or meteorites and some kind of asteroids, all kinds of vapor and smoke, demonic activity on every corner of planet earth. Blood is being shed and lives are being taken by pestilence and disease and torment is coming upon mankind mankind like that of the sting of a scorpion with pain up to five months and people wanting to die and just cannot die. The earth is so pounded by the first seven seals of the book of Revelation chapter 6. And when he opened up the seventh seal of the Lamb of God, the Bible says out came seven trumpet judgments. And we find in the reading of the scriptures that each trumpet brought a disaster upon the earth. And now the seventh trumpet is about to sound and God stops and sends an angel to planet earth. This angel is so huge that his right foot is planted on the sea and his left foot on dry land. He reached up into the heavens and swore by the name of God Almighty that time should be no more. In this huge angel's hand is a little book. This angel is incredibly big, powerful, awesome. He's just an incredible being that God has created. And God sends this angel in the middle of all this death, disease, and destruction as if to say, you know, I've had enough. And so God sends probably his biggest angel and puts, the angel puts one foot on the, the scripture says right foot on the sea. It's the sea that's turbulent. It's the sea that is raging. So he puts the strong foot on the sea, the left foot on land, and he says, the angel declares, time shall be no more. In other words, um, we're going to wrap this up. We're done. We're going to get busy. We're going to finish this, 
and we're going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. It's an amazing chapter. Someone would ask, well, who is the angel? Well, does it really matter? It really doesn't matter, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about some things that really doesn't matter in the, in the area of angels. I want to begin by saying that this angel is not Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says another angel, and Jesus is not a, another angel. Jesus is the Son of God, and he created all the angels. Jesus is the creator. Many Bible commentators, many scholars believe that this is Jesus. I don't believe that. They think this is a Christophany. Otherwise, Jesus appears as an angel here in the book of Revelation. The only, the only sad thing about that is, is Jesus Christ appeared as the Son of Almighty God in the first chapter. And he returns in chapter 19 as the Son of Almighty God, the Word of God in power. And so we can't see Jesus as a Christophany or an appearance of an angel. Now, did Jesus appear as an angel in the Old Testament? He did, uh, as the angel of the Lord. It was always capital letter, the angel of the Lord. That was a manifestation of Christ before he received his Jesus body. But after Jesus received his Jesus body, God received his Jesus body, his son. Afterwards, he died on the cross of Calvary, our Savior, Jesus Christ, shed his blood for our sins. And when he died, he was put in a tomb. And Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty God, who is the way, the truth, and the life, arose from the dead. He is the risen Savior. One that liveth forever, holding the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He's the sovereign God. Jesus is the sovereign God. And I joined with Thomas when he fell at the feet of Jesus in John chapter 20, and he said, my Lord and my God, that's my testimony concerning Jesus for my life. He is my Lord and my God. And so we know that this angel is not Jesus because it says another angel, and Jesus is not just another angel. He made the angels. Not only that, John doesn't um, bow down and worship this angel. In the first chapter of Revelation, John bowed down and worshiped Jesus. But in this chapter, he does not bow down and worship this angel. Why? Because this angel is not Jesus Christ. This angel is sent by God to planet Earth, such a huge, amazing angel, that as he stands with one foot on the Mediterranean Sea and the other foot on dry land, Palestinian land, he swore by the name of God Almighty that liveth forever. Now, I know that this angel is not Jesus because he swore by the name of him who liveth forever and ever. Now, I understand in the Old Testament, God swore by no other greater because there was none greater than him. He swore by himself. But here, this angel is swearing by him that liveth forever and ever. So this is not Jesus Christ. You say, but he looks like Jesus. He's, you know, he's got the feet burning. He's got the, uh, he's got the halo uh, like a rainbow above his head. He's, his voice is like thunder. Uh, he has so many traits. His face shines like the sun. He just has so many uh, 
pictures like Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1, I, I, I just have a hard time not believing that this angel is Jesus. Well, this angel is not Jesus, and let me explain something to you. I don't know who this angel is, but I can give two good guesses. Two good guesses. One guess would be it would be Gabriel, because Gabriel always showed up to make great announcements. The other angel could be Michael. I'm thinking that this angel probably is Michael. You say, why do you think this angel's Michael? Because Michael means one like God. So Michael resembles God. And so Michael is the war angel. In fact, he's the angel of Israel. And he is the war angel. Uh, in Jude verse 9, it says, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, I used to read that verse 9 and think, well, you know, this Michael, the archangel, wouldn't talk back to the devil because the devil's stronger than him. That's not what he's saying in this verse. This verse is saying, I'm sent here by the Lord. The Lord rebukes you. I'm commissioned by the Lord. The Lord rebukes you. I have no doubt that Michael could mop up Lucifer at any moment. Hello? Michael is so huge in power that one foot is on the dry land, the other on the sea. You say, well, how do you know it's the Mediterranean? Well, I can pretty much guess because John was marooned on the Mediterranean. Not only that, on the Isle of Patmos, and not only that, when the Bible speaks of the sea, it always refers to the Mediterranean. And so we look at this angel, and that's the first thing I want to point out, the angel's appearance. Sure, he looked like God, looked like Jesus Christ. But God is saying when this angel comes down, I, I'd love to heard the sounds when he came down, the sound of the sea when it splashed. And his feet went all the way down to the, the sand of the sea and then come back up and stood on top of the water. And his, and his foot lands on the land and the land shakes and quakes. What an amazing angel. And so God is pretty much saying, okay, I've had enough. And so the angel reacts to what is happening on planet earth. The angel reacts to God's commission. Verse 2 through 7 says that this angel who came down, uh, he has one foot on the earth, one foot on the sea. He cries with a loud voice like a lion roaring. I've never been to Africa or areas where there's lions, but I'm told that when a lion roars, especially in the evening when all the lions begin to roar, it is paralyzing. It is so fearful. And so this, this angel roars like a lion. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Thunder began to reverberate across the waters and the land. Thunders from heaven roaring. Who is that? It's the voice of God. Because the Bible's very clear that God's voice is like the thunders. 
in Psalm 29. I'll not go there and read it for the sake of time, but in Psalm 29, it talks about he roareth on the waters, his voice. And so when he speaks, there's thunder, seven thunders, the scripture says. And when he, when he utters his voice in seven thunders, the angel which I saw stand upon the sea, upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and he swore by him that liveth forever and ever. That's in verse 5 and 6. And then it says in verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, which he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, and he that hath declared to his servants the prophets. God is saying through this mighty angel that time is up. Time shall be no longer. That's in verse 6. The last part of it says, and the things which are therein that were there should be time no longer. No more delays. No more pause. No more delays. I have no doubt in my mind that most people that would be and could be saved had already been saved by this time. And after that, it was God-haters, God-mockers, and God-defiers left over. So God's just going to mop up the place. I'm done. No more time. I'm through. Because when the seventh trumpet sounds, out will come. You got it, seven bowls of the wrath of God. And the bowl is where it's poured out upon the earth. When God pours out something, it is incredibly forceful and powerful. For me, he poured out the Holy Ghost. What a blessing. But for the world, he's going to pour out his judgment. And that is so, so horrendous. And the judgment of God will just wash across the planet. But notice the angel had a rainbow on his head, probably a halo of some type. And this angel with the halo or rainbow about his head, God was probably saying, you know, I'm going to change everything and I'm going to judge the whole planet but I'm not going to totally destroy the planet. Just like I did in the days of Noah. I'm not going to totally destroy the planet. I'm going to create a new heaven. I'm going to create a new earth. And so even in God's mighty wrath, there is the mercy of God. And so he, you say, well, why is he holding off for a little mercy? He's going to save about a third of the Israel, the Jewish people, at the end of this book of Revelation. They're going to turn to Christ. And every member in their household will be saved by the blood of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we find that in the book of Zechariah. Been preaching that in chapter 12 and 13 in the book of Zechariah. And we'll see it later on in the book of Revelation. I am fascinated by this chapter 10. It just fascinates me. The angel says, no more time. Time's over. He said, when the seventh angel sounds, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared his servants the prophet. In other words, God has declared things all through the Bible. God has declared his judgments. God has declared his love. God has declared his, his plan all through the Bible. And God says, when it's all done, you will understand by and by. Life, don't miss what I'm about to say. Life is a mystery. We live in the time of mystery. When we look at God, mystery's not the same with God as it is with us. 
When we look at a mystery, we think, uh, you know, we're going to find out a secret or find out why there's a mystery, and we, we solve it. But with God, a mystery means you're not going to know what I'm doing unless I show you what I'm doing. With God, his mystery is you'll never find out my will, you'll never find out my plan unless I show you the mystery. I'm glad that God showed Paul the mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye, caught up to meet Jesus in the air. I'm glad that a lot of those mysteries have been declared in this book, that there is a hell, there is heaven, that there is life after death, that there is an awesome, incredible God. The, the mystery is only the blood of Jesus Christ could save us from our sin. The mystery of iniquity doeth already work. But there is a restraining power right now in which one day that restraining power will be taken and the world will plunge into great tribulation and the great wrath of God. Mysteries are solved along the way. But God, God makes you and I live in a lot of mystery. That's what makes life so exciting. We live, our life is full of mysteries. You say, how can you say our lives is full of mysteries? You don't even know what you're, you're going to do tomorrow. You think you do, but you don't even know what's in store for you next month. Shoot, you don't know what you're going to do a year from now. You can make your plans, but your plans can change. Life is a mystery. I'm glad it's a mystery. You know what? I'd sure hate to know the exact day, the exact time, the exact hour, the exact place I was going to die. Because I'd never go to that place. I'd move the clock back, and I'd change the calendar on the wall. I'm glad that I don't know exactly what's going to happen or what's going to befall me. Because if I knew the exact day, the exact time, the exact hour, and the way I was going to die, I could not enjoy today. Nor would I enjoy tomorrow. Because you're like me and I'm like you. We worry, 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 worry. So God keeps the mystery out. We know we're going to die, but for some reason, we don't worry, 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 worry. Why? Because the mystery is you don't know when you're going to die. God knows. Don't tell me. All these prophets want to prophesy to the church, da, 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 da. Well, you know, I just seen them not say some of the things they say, and furthermore, usually they're wrong. Are you, are you okay with this? Yeah, you see, life is a mystery. And so God says to this angel, I'm going to call him Michael. If that's not his name, I'll apologize when I get to heaven because I'm not going to dispute with a guy that big. <laughs> Hello. I don't want him to walk up to me after I get to heaven, boom, 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 and looks down to me and says, I'm not Michael, I'm Herman. <laughs> I'll say, whatever you say. Amen. Now, John is troubled. He hears the thunder, and he starts writing it because the thunder's talking. There's mysteries. 
And John starts to write it down, and God says, stop. Do not write down the thunders, the seven thunders. Don't write them down. Well, you know, John was just writing out of habit, right to the church of Thyatira, right to the church of Philadelphia, right here, right there, right there. And he pulls out his pen, starts to write, and God says, nope, don't write it. Seal it up. You know, you say, what are those, what are those voices in the thunders? What, what is the message of that? Well, you'll have to turn on a television to a TV evangelist to find that out. Because I don't know. And it, it's a mystery. And if I told you, it wouldn't be a mystery, would it? Now, let's look at this just for a minute. God is trying to, what, you say, well, why did he tell us not to write it when, when he, you know, why did he even thunder? Why did John even mention this if we're going to have to worry about what was in the thunder? And God was trying to say, look, you're not going to know everything. I'm the God of heaven. I know everything, but you're not going to know everything. Amen. Hello? Amen. You're not going to know everything. I and so we need to understand we're not going to know any, everything. And if you find a preacher that thinks he knows everything, you can't trust him. Don't trust him with your life. At least I'm, at least I'm obedient enough to say if I don't know, I don't know. If I don't know, I don't know. John started to write it down, and God said, don't write that down. I want everybody to know there's things that you won't know in life. God will always be wiser, brighter, more magnificent than you and I will ever be. And there's so many things that he does that we cannot comprehend. Amen. And so I'm having a hard enough time dealing with the things John did write without trying to figure out what he didn't write. Amen. I'm re I'd really have trouble with the things he didn't write, if I'm having trouble with some of the things he wrote, the mystery of God should be finished. So we know that when the trumpet sounds in verse 7, the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be finished, meaning we'll understand it all by and by. It will be revealed. We will know the truth someday. We'll know it all someday. Now, John is probably pretty shook, and I would be too, to see this big guy, this angel, so huge, with a little book in his hand. He said, well, what is that little book? Well, I think that little book is probably the rest of the book of Revelation, the seventh thunder on. It could be the same little book as the book of the title deed to the planet that we saw in Revelation chapter 6. I don't know, but I know that this book that the angel had was called a little book. And it was a edel edible book little book edible book I'm glad that the book was little because if it had been the average book that the angel would have had there ain't no way John could have eat it all but it was a little little hors d'oeuvre in the angel's hands and so John God speaks to John and, and tells John take the book you know, I heard a preacher preaching that John just walked up to that big fella, that angel, and said, give me that book. 
not until God spoke out of heaven and said, take the book, John. And if, if I had been John, I'd have said, please, pretty please, will you give me the book? And John walked up there in the authority of God's word, give me the book. Now, had he had said that, if he had known what the angel, angel was going to tell him, the angel was going to say, okay, here's the book, but eat it. Here's the book, but eat it. Now, this is the angel's advice. I like this. It's not really a commandment, but it's the advice. He tells John, eat the book. Now, we know in Psalms 119, verse 103, that God's word is sweet. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's this Psalm 119, verse 103. The word is sweet, like honey. And so the angel says to John, take the book, eat the book. Now, I guess we would ask the question, why is John going to take the book and eat the book? Well, in verse 11, it says that he would prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. When is that? Probably the rest of Revelation is when he preaches to the um, many people, nations, tongues, and kings. Probably the rest of the book of Revelation. But wait a minute. John didn't die on the Isle of Patmos. John left the Isle of Patmos and went back to Ephesus. And at Ephesus, he wrote, I know you think Revelation's the last book he wrote, but it wasn't. The last book that John wrote was the Gospel of John. So he went back to Ephesus and wrote the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is deity, God in, in flesh, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, he has to eat this book. And the book's going to be sweet, but it's going to give him a bellyache. He's going to have bitter in his spirit. He's going to, he's going to drink it. He's going to eat it. And then swallow it. And then he's going to bitter to his stomach. Now, he said, well, the angel warned him. It's going to be worse than, you know, going to be worse than sneaking as a child into the green apple tree. It's going to be good going down, but, oh, man, bitter the rest of the time. Anybody ever done that? You sweet little angels, I know you have. Amen. The only tree I didn't sneak in and eat the fruit of was persimmons before frost. I couldn't bear the judgment of the bitterness of that. My mom used to take us down to what was called the Ben Franklin store, the dime store. And at that place was the most incredible picture for a child, candy in glass, uh, uh, glass uh, boxes all the way around the registers. They had all kinds of candy, all kinds of candy. Penny for a penny, for a nickel, for a dime, candy. Now, we didn't always get candy because we were poor boys. My two sisters were poor too. But anyway, there's 11 of us. And mom didn't let us buy candy. You say, well, why? But it's just penny, nickel, and dimes. I know, but when you've got 11 children, that's a lot of pennies, nickels, and dimes. And when we were growing up, my mom and dad counted the pennies, nickels, and dimes. The cheapest thing in that store in the way of candy was bubble gum. 
And then the next cheapest thing in that store, which was the biggest thing, was black licorice. I heard that. Yeah. Well, when you're a little boy, you're not too much interested in the licorice. You're more interested in, in the size of that licorice. That licorice was big around as my thumb, long string, and you could get it a, a little bit more, not much, than the bubble gum. And mom would say, buy the bubble gum. I said, no, mom, I want the big stick of licorice. All right, son, you can have it. And one day she asked me why I never would buy bubble gum. And I told her the truth. I said, Mom, you tell us kids, never swallow the gum. You told us over and over again, you kids do not swallow the bubble gum. Don't swallow the gum. And I said to Mom, I can't bring it to myself to spit out candy out of my mouth. If I'm going to get candy, I'm going to swallow it. I'm not going to spit it out. And that's why I never got gum. Because it ought to be a crime if it's not already to spit candy out of your mouth. I mean, you ought to be whipped within an inch of your life if you spit candy out of your mouth. You're just not human. Hello? Yeah, well, preacher, you're so serious. You do know I'm teasing. Well, maybe I'm not. Candy's pretty good. Now, John is going to eat this book, and it's going to be like candy. And he's going to swallow it, and then it's going to be bitter to his stomach. Now, what does it mean by that? Well, it just simply means that the Word of God is sweet to the believer, but it is bitter to the unsaved. The Word of God is extremely sweet to you and I in our mouth, sweet. But it's also bitter to the Christian when we know that loved ones are going to go to hell. The Word of God is sweet. Not only was John going to consume the last part of the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, he was going to consume also the new heaven and the new earth, the new city of Jerusalem. He, that's too, that's sweet stuff. But there was bitter stuff in the mix. How many, how many know that the Bible is bittersweet? That's why when a Christian loses a loved one in sleep, in Christ, what about a Christian has another Christian loved one that falls asleep in Christ? There is a bitter sweetness, even at the funeral, even at the graveyard. In your mouth, it's sweet because you're talking about your loved one in heaven. In your mouth, it's sweet because you're talking about your loved one being saved. In your mouth, you, you talk the talk that you know your loved one's in heaven because they were saved and born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. In your mouth, is sweet. But down in your belly, you're grieving the loss of that loved one. Now, John eats the book. It's an edible book. He eats it, and I believe he eats it for the, for the sake of getting what he needed to finish the book of Revelation. You've got to understand that John was witnessing some of the most horrific events that this world will ever have. And so the angel comes down to just give John a good swift kick in the pants. 
to give him some word to eat, to give him some encouragement, to give him some strength, so he could eat this book, this sweet book. I want to say to everybody in this room, let us go by the book. Let us go by this book, but let us go by the book of our life. There's going to be bitter times in our life. There's going to be hard times in our life. Life is a bitter book at times. In our life, it's a, and it's not a big book. Our life's small. It's a vapor. It appears a little time and then vanishes away. Our life is not a big moment on earth. It's pretty small. But life is sweet. But among life being sweet, there will be bitterness. And I want to say to everyone in this room, go by the book. God goes by the book. We need to go by the book. Hear me? We need to go by the book, the Word of God. We need to go by the fact that God knows what He's doing, and one day we'll understand. A child is born with brain cancer. A child is two-year-old with a tumor on its neck. A child dies. A mother and father grieves. A teenager is killed in a car wreck. Devastation has plagued the family. All the questions of life, bitterness. Why? Why? All I can tell you is this. Eat the book. Eat the sweetness of life. And understand, in life, there will be bitterness. Now, the prophets ate the book. Uh, Jeremiah ate a scroll. Ezekiel ate a roll. I remember when I first read that. Isn't that nice? He ate a cinnamon roll. But anyway, I was just too young in the Lord to understand. Romance scroll. Ezekiel in chapter 2 and chapter 3, Ezekiel is worn out. He's tired. He's, he's, he's drained. He doesn't know what to do. He's weak. And God tells him to eat the scroll. Take the Word of God. Written in and out the scroll. Eat the Word of God. Ezekiel ate the Word of God. And it was told him it'll be sweet in your mouth as honey, bitter in your stomach. And after Ezekiel eat the scroll... I think the New Testament rolls are better than the Old Testament rolls. You didn't get that, but I, I think the New Testament at least got a little sugar and cinnamon on it. The Old Testament rolls were just pancakes. But Ezekiel eat the, the, the roll. And when he eat it, what did it do to him? It gave him strength and boldness to preach. It gave him understanding. It gave him the boldness and the strength of God to do what he needed to do. And I want you to know, if you're going to survive in this world, you're going to have to eat the sweet and endure the bitter. And you're going to have to go by the book. And if God chooses that your book has some bitterness in your stomach, then that's God's business. And one day, after the mysteries of God are completed, you will understand it all better by and by. You will understand. You will receive it. God knows what he's doing. God is an awesome God. And in life, 
it's, it's horrific in life. There's storms and trials. But I want you to know Jesus Christ can give us the victory. Jesus Christ. I know, I know you want to be that super saint. You want to be that super spiritual saint and understand everything. But you're not going to. You may be a super saint, but you're not super smart. If you're super smart, you won't let the death of a loved one. If you're super smart, you won't let the storm of life. If you're super smart, you won't let the heartaches of life keep you from serving God. If you're super smart, you won't, you won't let the storms, you won't let the heartbreaks, you won't let the tragic events of your life keep you from serving God. You will eat the sweet word of God. You will eat the sweet message of God, and you will accept the bitterness that you don't always understand. And so John ate the sweet and received the bitter. I um, I was a little reluctant to preach this message this direction, but you need to understand that God don't say to every Christian, once you get saved, God don't say to every sinner, once you get saved, you'll be rich, you'll be blessed, you'll be fortunate, and you'll have all the things you need in life. I want you to know that is not the gospel. The gospel is when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you will receive peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Bible is very clear. Yes, God will bless his people. Amen. Amen. God will bless you financially. But if we make that the main thing in the preaching, then we miss God's message. Sure, God will bless us financially. Sure, God will bless us when we honor him. Sure, God, uh, the, the blessing is there. But that blessing is placed more so in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's more spiritual blessing. Than the Old Testament, it's more material blessing. Why? Because they were trying to receive salvation through works. In the New Testament, we receive salvation through the grace of God. The spiritual act of God. And so I love prosperity. I love divine health. I believe in healing. I believe that God heals. And, and, and I've seen God heal. And I've seen God do many miracles. And I, I've seen God just do outstanding supernatural moves of God. I've seen God in his healing power. I've seen God in his moving power. But I want you to know the key is I've seen God. It wasn't me. And God does bring miracles, and God does bring prosperity. And I, want, I don't want to discourage you into, believe, into not believing that God blesses you financially, because he does. But what I want to encourage you is, it may not always go your way. And when it don't always go your way, go his way. And that's the lesson we have. We'll be in the 11th chapter, and we'll be looking at two witnesses that's coming out. It's a parenthetical chapter as well. Chapter. So, well, what is a parenthetical chapter? It's something that God slips in the story, and it's not really in the timeline, but it's slipped in. And, and chapter 10 is more like toward the middle of the Great Tribulation, but it doesn't tell the exact time point. 
chapter 11 is the two witnesses. And then we have pictures of supernatural stuff in, in uh, Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, John says, and we'll get into this when we get to chapter 12, but John says, I saw a great red dragon stand before the woman. The woman was screaming and travailing in birth to give birth to a man-child. And that demon, that dragon tried to consume and send a flood water to destroy the child. Destroy. You go, wow, what is that? What is that? Well, we're going to talk about it in Revelation chapter 12, but let me give you a quick little statement. That is the Virgin Mary having a baby, and that sweet little baby put in a manger, laid in a stable, angels celebrating, and Herod trying to kill the little boy babies. That's what we see. That's what we see. But John saw it in the spirit world. And Herod was a great red dragon. The man-child was Jesus Christ. The people being destroyed by flood was the nation Israel. But all we saw was joy to the Lord. The king has come. All we see is a Christmas play for little children. All we see is, wow, he was born, the Virgin Mary, and laid in, and we see Herod tried to kill him. But God says, no, that's not really the big picture. The big picture is there's a devil. There's a dragon. There's the Son of God. There's Israel. And Revelation is to give us the big picture. Were you glad you came? Praise the Lord. Now, if you didn't learn anything in this sermon today but this, learn this. Write this in your notes. Don't spit candy out. You got that? I send you to school, buy your books, and what do you learn? You spit your candy out. Swallow it. Swallow life. Swallow it. God knows what he's doing. Stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. Hope you've enjoyed today. I've enjoyed today. Amen. You say, what about that black licorice? I hate it. I loved it when I was a little boy. I grew into hate later on. I hate Black licorice. Well, what about the red? What about it? <laughs> now, I know as soon as we dismiss, you're going to run out to the convenience store and you're going to buy black licorice. No, you're not. I just love it when I'm preaching and people are talking back out there saying they're, they're discussing it, you know. And I'm glad you discuss it. That's good. As long as you're not dis disgusting it. 
But the book of Revelation is so incredible. We'll be in the 11th chapter next Sunday. And I hope you've enjoyed today. I hope you've learned from this chapter. It's an incredible chapter. We're going to give an invitation. Josh is going to play and sing. It's still early. It's not noon yet. And uh, I want to invite you to come. If you're not a child of God, please do so today. If you haven't repented of your sin, do so today. If you haven't turned to Christ in contrition of heart, do that today. If you're not sure that you're saved, make sure today. If there's sin in your life, confess it. Swallow it. Understand it's bitter. If there's something in your life you don't understand, understand this. God knows what He's doing. Altar's open. You want to come and pray?